Matthew 5, starting at verse 13 and reading through to verse 16. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So reads God's word. This passage uh, follows the one before. It's not very profound to say that, but uh, the Lord Jesus had ascended uh, a mount, chapter 5, verse 1, and uh, he's spoken his manifesto. He's begun speaking. We looked at that two weeks ago. And he said, when the Spirit of God works in the heart and mind of a person, this is the character they start to exhibit. Chapter 5, verses 1 through to 12. He's now going to go on to say, if the Spirit of God has done this in your heart and life, if you are a changed person, if you are a person, chapter 5, verse 3, who has a poverty of spirit, if you are a person who hungers and thirsts for a righteousness that comes only through Jesus, not from your own efforts, then you will start to live like this. I want you to be, and Jesus uses these two great metaphors, I want you to be like salt and like light in the world. The earth needs salt and it needs light, it needs illumination. Now I was thinking of reading the, uh, the paper this week, uh, we're not quite there yet, and uh, it strikes me that this is a very timely word for us, because as you read the paper, as you read the press, um, especially in the UK, you are struck by this stark scepticism. There is a fair degree of pessimism, there is a lot of anxiety and angst and anger. Uh, words are being fired as bullets from one side of the argument to the other, whatever the argument is. Uh, values are used not to build character, but to build and to construct walls, to divide. We're a, I don't know if we are the United Kingdom anymore. I think we're the divided kingdom for a host of reasons, some of them political, but it's not bound just to that. We can be sceptical skept, uh, about uh, the future. Other people can be very excited to say there's great potential if we make this change and do that. And we can be a very emotionally driven people as we look out into the world in which we live. Christians have always faced this uh, temptation as we consider verses 13 to 16. If that's the way that you can think whether you're a Christian or not, you can be pessimistic or you can be optimistic. You can use words as bullets to, to, to you know, kill and tear down or you can use words to build up and encourage where do Christians fit in their understanding of the world? I think there's always three dangers. When you look out in the world, it's so easy to be intimidated by the world. The world is just getting a darker place. There's been a murder in Cheam. There's been a tragedy in Reading. There's danger on the streets of London, and there is, that's true. But there has always been. And it's very easy as a Christian to think, God is turning us back on the world, I need to retreat. The monastic lifestyle is for me. That's a, an understanding of the world that Christians have had in the past. Let's retreat from the world and let's retreat to monasteries and so on. We can get 
infuriated, that's another response. We can just get angry, and rather than speaking words of kindness and wisdom, we can just speak words of anger, and we can vent. That's the two dangers of being intimidated, you withdraw, being infuriated and getting angry. Or, or you can just feel enculturated. You can take off your uh, royal clothes that Jesus gives us and you can just want to mingle in with the crowd. You can want to lose your distinctiveness. You can be like Princess Jasmine. She's not in the Bible, she's in Aladdin. And in Aladdin, Princess Jasmine, she wants, to, she wants to know what it's like. She wants to know love. She wants to know dreams. She wants to fly on a carpet ride. That's later on in the film and in the story. But here's Princess Jasmine and she takes off her royal clothes and she dresses as a pauper because she wants to know love and she wants to see what life is outside the constraints of fatherly discipline, whatever that may feel like. And she wants to go into the street. Sometimes you can feel like that as a Christian too. I feel afraid. So I'm going to withdraw, danger number one. I feel so angry, I'm just going to vent. Or you can feel enculturated. You can say, I want to lose my distinctiveness. Enough is enough, it's too much to follow Jesus. I'm just going to blend in with the crowd and we take off our royal robes. Jesus says, part of being a counter-cultural kingdom, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, It's not living to the values of this age. It's living for the priorities of a new king and modelling life of a new kingdom here and now. So don't withdraw. Don't spew words of anger. Control your tongue, that's later on. And live a distinctive life. Don't take off your royal robes. Keep them on. Because the world needs salt and it needs light. That's what verses 13 to 16 are about. If you've not got that, you've missed it. But let me explain it to you. That's the first thing I want us to see. If you look out in the world, our world is decaying. Behind this, these two images of salt and light, there's some rock salt there, that's the proper salt, none of this kind of fine stuff. I like the big blasty rock salt on anything I can get, especially focaccia bread. Behind this great metaphor of salt and light is an inherent comment that Jesus is making. He's saying, well, salt, as in the 21st century in the in the ancient Near East, in the, in the Roman culture, it was used as a preservative. We know that. If you've watched Poldark, you would see that there were barrels of preserved fish on a boat and it was just caked in salt and it tasted great, I'm sure. Well, go back even further and salt was used as a preservative in abundance. Why? Because they didn't have fridge freezers. So salt was used in abundance as a preservative. There were no electric lights. And so you would have this image of Jesus saying you're to be the salt of the earth and you're to be the light of the world. Why? because it was so dark. There were no street lamps, there was no light pollution. And we find it so hard to grasp the light metaphor because there's loads of light pollution in Epsom because we're in part of the suburb of Greater London. We turn our lights off at home and there's still the warm glow of the fluorescent tubes that are outside on our streets and so on. But Jesus is saying the earth needs salt because it's decaying. You need to be salty to preserve the world, to bring you flavour and joy. You need to be lighty. You need to be like a light. Why? Because the world is decaying and it's dark and it needs light. I don't know if you've ever put on spectacles that uh, completely take away your sight. You know, blacked out spectacles or blacked out goggles or safety specs. If you have ever experienced that uh, phenomena, it is scary. You lose your bearings so quickly, 
you kind of sense danger. Your, your sense of hearing gets turned up to the maximum like it has in the middle of the night when you hear a creak and think there's someone there in your house. Houses always seem louder in the middle of the night. I don't know why. But you sense danger in the darkness when there's no light at all. No ambient light from the sun or the moon. You are disorientated. You are dislocated. You, you can have vertigo because there's no bearings to be found. And Jesus is saying you need to be salty in the earth and you need light because the world is decaying. It is dying. It is dark. And think who were the people who first heard these words? They were not in a school in Epsom in 2019. They were a bunch of Palestinian, a handful of Palestinian people, a ragamuffin bunch of people, disciples of Jesus and peasants. And Jesus gives them this huge manifesto. I want you bunch of people to be salt and light for the whole earth, to the ends of the earth. I want you to do that, to take the gospel out because the world is decaying. Verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 5. Because cars, they rust, don't they? Cars rust. So we don't want to get too nice a car. Fruit, well, fruit spoils. So you need to eat it when you have it. Uh, muscles waste, just look at me. Skin sags, look at me again. But that's just the physical signs of decay. Think about relationships, isn't it true? Relationships decay very quickly unless you put a lot of effort and energy and time and investment into your relationships. It happens in marriages, it happens socially, it happens between sons and fathers, it happens between daughters and mums, it happens throughout society. Relationships are hard work and the world needs salt and it needs light. That's what Jesus is saying. Think about psychologically. We thought physically, we thought emotionally and socially. Psychologically, it's so hard to find a happy person these days. There's so much pressure in the modern world. There's so much loss of uh, moorings and ballast in our hearts. Part of that is because Christianity has been rejected and thrown in the bin. And so depression is on the increase. Anxiety is on the rise. Fear is around most corners. And Jesus says to this ragamuffin bunch of Palestinian disciples and now to the whole church throughout the ages. The earth is decaying. You have a role to play. You need to be distinct as light shining in darkness because people are disorientated and dislocated. You need to be salty because the earth needs preserving. We'll explain that in a moment. It needs joy to be brought to it. It needs, it needs you to be distinct. Don't take off your religious robes. Don't be like Princess Jasmine. Because if you're connected to me, you're the hope for the world. So don't, don't hide your light. Don't lose your saltiness. Because the world is decaying. And it needs you to live distinct lives. Verses 13 to 16. But how is that possible? Is it just, come on, let's, uh, let's uh, get up our sleeves. Let's roll up our trousers. Let's, let's get our safety shoes on. Let's go into the world and do some stuff. No, it's not. Jesus is very clear to say where the motivation comes from. That's our second point. The world is decaying. But here's the good news. Jesus, Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the hope of the whole world. Look at verse 14 and 15 with me. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. There Jesus tells us what kind of light we are to be. And this is absolutely critical to understand what we are not and therefore the light we should be. 
Jesus does not say, disciples, followers of mine, you're the sun. Go into the world and shine like the sun. He doesn't say that. He says, neither. You're like the stars. Go and burn brightly. Go and be like a gas and explode. No, Jesus says, you're not like that. You're to be the light. The world needs a light. But don't think of yourself as a source. Don't think of yourself as the sun, because you're not. You are a candle. You are a candle of oil, like we had on the last slide, with a wick in it. You have limited resources by yourself. You are not a source of light, but you hold light if you are connected to me, if you know me personally. Jesus is saying, you're a lamp in a dark world. You're a light in a dark place, but only if you are lit by me. Only if your light is derived from me. You're a lamp. You're not the sun. You're a lamp. You're not a torch. You're a lamp. You're not a star. You're a lamp in a dark world if your light comes from me. That's what the gospel says. You look at John chapter 1. This big beginning from eternity where God sends his son as a light into the darkest world. And Jesus it has that title given to him. He is the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus then takes that title and owns it himself. I am the light of the world. And he's making a profound point. He's saying, I'm not a prophet that says, here is truth, follow it. He's not saying, here are footsteps of mine, put your footsteps in mine and then you will be my disciple. He's saying, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a truth teller, I'm the truth. I'm not a guru for you to follow. I'm a saviour. I'm a rescuer that you need. I am the light of the world. He who walks in my light will have the light of life and never walk in darkness again. Jesus is claiming for himself exclusivity that is a ballast in our hearts in a disorientated world. He's not one of many religious teachers. He's saying, I am the Son of God, I'm the light of God, I'm the truth of God, and it can be found nowhere else but from me. I'm the light of the world. Truth illuminates. If you follow me, if you acknowledge and bow to my loving kingly rule, you will know where the darkness is. I am truth that illuminates. I am truth that reveals. I am truth that makes things gloriously good. I am truth that cannot lie. I'm truth that cannot cheat. I'm truth that exposes evil. There is beauty in my lightness. There is beauty and satisfaction and joy in my glory as it's revealed, revealed at the transfiguration. There's beauty in my loveliness. And that's why Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm not one of many lights. I'm the light of the world, full stop. There are no other lights. There are no other ways to God. I am the true guide. And I and I alone show you the way to the Father. I and I alone am the light source. But if you're connected to me, you can be a lamp. You can shine brightly when you know the light that comes only from me. I'm not a prophet. I'm the light of the world. And if light shows you reality, I think Colossians 1.17, there's also the link that says, In me, says Jesus, this audacious claim, in me all things hold together. I am salt-like in that I preserve the world, I sustain it. Without a word of creative power from Jesus, the world would not exist. Without a word of sustaining power, the world would not keep going. Your heart would not work. It's not science. Beyond science is the hand of God.
and in me all things hold together says Paul of Jesus everything is falling apart everything is decaying it's the second rule of thermodynamics energy is wasting stones will turn into sand if time permits flowers will fade and fall but Jesus is saying I'm the light of the world and if you're connected to me you are to be salt like you are to be lamp like and that's where I want to spend most of our time in point number three if the world is decaying if Jesus is the light of the world <coughs> Jesus says in Jesus we can be salt and light we can be salty and lighty we can be salt and light in a dark world that so desperately needs the gospel in Epsom and Yule as well the Christian message is this if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord if you respond to the Spirit's urging as you as he draws you to himself his light will come into your dark heart that's what it says in Matthew chapter 4 he quotes Isaiah and says a new light has dawned in the darkness there's hope because Matthew says that Jesus is the long-awaited king and the king has come and as the king comes he comes to banish sin which happens at the cross he comes to banish darkness which you see throughout his life and through the church but Jesus says here in this passage one of the scariest verses in the whole of the Sermon on the Mount you are the salt and you are the light of the world the salt of the earth and the light of the world now what does that mean here are three if you are to be salt and light those two metaphors to be played together that means that you will expose darkness salt and light that means you will expose darkness this now gets very practical and very personal salt and light expose decay and darkness so that means that in your life if you are shining brightly as a Christian if you are salty as a Christian that means that people will see you and notice you notice the difference that you make in their lives a difference at the school gate when gossip starts and you don't join in that difference should be heard by what you say and what you choose not to say if you're light that means that your life will be so so beautiful so Christ-like increasingly as you know him better that wherever you go like the ready break advert of old there will be something different about you a glow there will be something different about your speech that it will be seasoned with salt so that you say words kindly words with compassion strong words that need to be said but never wanting to cause offense by the way you handle pressure you will be different in the world in the workplace in the home by the way in which you take criticism by the way in which you treat the people who work under you if you're a boss or a supervisor or the way you work underneath supervision if you're a worker if you live according to the truth of the gospel if you live for the approval of one person rather than your earthly boss you will stick out like a sore thumb or you should and that's the challenge do I do you are you salty are you light is there a difference about you if you're like Jesus Christ then his beauty will become your beauty increasingly and you will shine you will preserve you will be tasty you will be appreciated and noticed because Christians Christians are always noticed 
when they live in a Christian way. You ever had that awful experience of being in someone else's house when the lights are out and you need to get a glass of water at night, perhaps? You need to find your way around and you can't find the light switch. If you can't find the light switch, your shins will get bruised. They quickly become a different colour. You might do some damage. I've done that once or twice before. Or that other experience of uh, when you go to work and someone says, did you get dressed in the dark? You know, they love, love, friends say that. Maybe you've got, you've got socks that don't match. Some people like wearing socks that don't match. Some people can't bear it. But when you're looking for that black top and you pull out the blue one because you've got dressed in the dark, that kind of experience. Real light shows you the right colours. Real light, when you have light in a dark place, it means that you can see where the danger is. You can see where the pitfalls are. You can see where the chairs are in someone else's house. You can see where the sofa is. And look at what is said in verse 16. Good deeds. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. There are two uh, words in Greek that can be used here, agathos and kalos. Agathos means good in quality. That's a, that's a good quality piece of pork or beef or fish or something like that. Kalos, that means beautiful. That's inherently beautiful. And it's kalos that's used here. Let your life be so beautiful, so beautiful that it is noticeable. Let your speech be so beautiful that it's heard differently. Let your actions be so full of compassion that people notice when you leave work. Do people notice that about you and I? Or they are glad when you leave? Very challenging. Here's this huge contrast that people should say from the life of a Christian at work at the school gate in the retirement home, whatever stage of life we're at as we parent, as we drive our cars, I had to repent this week, they should say there's a difference there because that person, that person's words and their behaviour the way they use their resources, it's different because they're a Christian. So there should be a differentness. Then there's also, Christians should bring joy. It's okay to expose and say that's not right and that's not quite true and that you shouldn't gossip. And, but actually there's a beneficial nature to salt as well. I love focaccia bread because the proper focaccia bread for me is not the tomato one, it's the one with rosemary on it. It's the one that's drizzled with uh, olive oil. It's the one with uh, knuckle holes in it with garlic. And it's the one with rock salt just chucked all over it to the degree of Nigella Lawson. So there's a pile kind of on it. It's bad for your health, but it tastes great. There's something about salt that Jesus does not say you're the honey of the world. Why does Jesus not say you're the honey of the world? Be a light and be the honey of the world. There's a biting quality to salt that brings delight to my taste buds so that even now I'm salivating. You can tell when a meat joint has been massaged with salt and pepper and herbs and stuff like that that happens in the kitchen. You can just tell a seasoning. Is that part of other people's experience of you? It's okay just to say, that's not quite right. That's not a kind way to speak. But is there also a joy that uh, people experience when they rub shoulders with you? Do you add value? Do you taste good relationally? Do you bring light, but also do you bring joy? It's all there in this metaphor of light and salt. One of the big problems in the modern workforce can be uh, a younger generation and an older generation, you get stuck into work and it's just as a stepping stone for greater things. 
I'm going to step on whoever I need to to leave this place of employment to get to that one because it's about me not serving people. It's about me not what's best for the community or the company. People are stepping stones. You use people. A Christian would go to a company. A Christian would go to a workforce. A Christian would go into a home they've never been in before and say, how can I make this place the best I possibly can? What value can I add? What joy can I bring? What truth and light can I show? Do we do that in our relationships? Do we do that as we work? Do we bring joy? Or is it just criticism and harshness? And that's only possible because there's a plurality to these images as well. These two metaphors of light, it's very rare you get a single ray of light. Sometimes it's beautiful if you see it coming through a cloud, but it's never by itself. There's always on a, an autumnal or spring morning light coming through the clouds. It's a sight to be seen in a forest, perhaps. Or salt. Who wants one grain of salt when you go to the fish and chip shop? You say, come on, times aren't that bad. Recession hasn't begun. Keep going with the salt shaker. Salt is lousy if you just get one grain. You need more when you're seasoning something. You just pour in whatever the... the uh, your taste buds like, or you pour in as much as you can bear, or as much as you've got. All through these four or five verses, it is plural. Whenever you see you, beginning of verse 13, it's plural. Notice deeds, plural, verse 16. The whole point is to say, Jesus, as he speaks to this small band of brothers and sisters, you are the light of the world, plural. You're not by yourself. You can make so little difference by yourself, but together, but together you can go into the world by my Spirit's power and you can change nations. You can bring the Gospels to the ends of the earth. And how are you the light of the world? Not by yourself. You're part of this new kingdom, verses 1 to 12 of chapter 5. But you're only the light of the world. You're only salty if Christ has come into your life. Can I ask you, has he? You can't miss it when Jesus comes into your life. You must have an aha moment. I've never seen that before. You must have a wow sensation. You must have a tear. Whatever your experience has been, do you know Jesus Christ personally? If not, you can't be salty. You can't be like light. Have you ever had that profound realisation that actually I'm in the dark and I need the light of the world and his name is Jesus? Have you ever seen his beauty? Have you ever tasted his goodness? There has to be an a aha moment. Sometimes it's an instant, sometimes it takes decades. But have you seen the beauty of Jesus? Have you tasted the preciousness of who he is and all that he's done for you? We're going to come to the table shortly. And one of the many reasons for us doing that is so that we can rehearse that again and sense the beauty of King Jesus. That's if you're not yet a Christian. What about if you are a Christian and maybe you're not salty as you once were, maybe your light has grown dim? Do you remember Moses in Exodus 34? In Exodus 34, Moses is coming down off the mountain having spent 40 whole nights, 40 whole days in the glory of the Lord. Receives the promises from God, receives the law of God. And he comes down and his face is radiant of the glory of the king. So radiant that he had to have a veil put over his face like a bride. And you might think, man, what was that like? Why can't people see a difference? Friends, what you and I need the most is just a little bit more of what Moses experienced. We can't come close to the king 
with five minutes of snack a day. Do you spend, do I spend quality time coming to communion in the Lord Jesus Christ? In dependency by his sons, or independency by his spirit, longing to know more of the glory of God. Do you have appetite for that? If you don't have an appetite to that, Christian friend, if that has grown dim, we're not going to shine, we're not going to be salty. These words are so challenging and so real and so timely. Jesus says, the world is decaying and what the world needs is salt. Disciples, go and be salt, go and be light, go and illuminate, go and bring joy and make a difference. But you can only do that to the degree that you're linked to me. Let's pray.